and welcome to another episode of AI and You. I'm your host, Mark McQuaid. So some of the most painful things when dealing with images for computer vision is the annotation, organizing, pre-processing, and augmentation of images. You can go the route of writing your own scripts to accomplish a lot of this, but that is you know, a lot of heavy lifting and time-consuming. Coincidentally, this is how I came across RoboFlow. I needed to convert some annotations uh, and was attempting to do this using Python scripts. RoboFlow really changed the game for me when I was able to ditch those scripts and accomplish what I needed to do in a fraction of the time. So what is RoboFlow? RoboFlow is a startup that aims to simplify the process of building computer vision models, and that is end-to-end, and it's a one-stop shop. The RoboFlow tool allows you to tackle every step of the computer vision lifecycle all the way from uploading images to annotation, organizing those images, training, and even deployment of your computer vision models. So businesses use the RoboFlow tool to monitor royal pipelines for leaks as an example, discover roof damage from aerial drone imagery, monitor security feeds, and so much more. Computer vision is revolutionizing the world, and RoboFlow is part of that by helping innovators apply computer vision simply and without any in-depth machine learning or deep learning expertise. All right, on today's episode, we chatted with Joseph Nelson. Joseph is the co-founder and CEO of RoboFlow. Before RoboFlow, Joseph founded Represently, which leveraged machine learning to help people and the U.S. Congress achieve transparent, impactful, and timely representation. Joseph and the team at RoboFlow have been on a pretty good roll as of late uh, over the last year, so it looks like their trajectory is really only rising. All right, I'm here with Joseph Nelson. Uh, Joseph is the co-founder and CEO of a great company, RoboFlow, uh, which is a computer vision startup. What's happening, man? I'm glad to have you on AI and You today. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. So I've known Joseph for a while now, and it's actually quite a good story how we met. Well, I think so. Um, I was doing some playing. Uh, anyone who listens to the podcast know I, I play quite a bit, right, on on weekends, on evenings with you know kind of deep learning tools. Um, and I was playing with Detectron 2, which is Facebook's, you know, computer vision, one of Facebook's computer vision libraries. Um, and I wanted to do some object detection on a custom data set. I think it was a hard hat data set. And um, I was doing that, but the data set itself was, it had its, uh, its labeling in Pascal Voc and uh, Detectron prefers Coco, right? Correct me if I'm wrong there. That's correct, right, Joseph? You're right. Yeah. So I, had, I spent a weekend playing and writing my own script in Python to convert uh, you know, the Pascal to Coco. Um, and it was a pain in the ass, right? It really was. It was a pain in the ass. I thought it was going to be quick and easy and it wasn't, right? So I stumbled across RoboFlow and and legit, the conversion took me 10 minutes, right? From w- using the RoboFlow tool. So from there, I reached out to Joseph just with some questions. And, you know, probably unfortunately for, for, for you, Joseph, is, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that maybe... Um, I was going to, you had maybe thought I was going to be a big spender in some way, but I was just a random guy reaching out. Right. Cause I do work for a, you know, a fairly large company. Um, but you know, I was just having fun on the platform. So from there, we've done some really cool things together, right? We've partnered on some proof of concepts. We've partnered on a, a really cool mass detection webinar. 
Um, and we, we are actually partnering on a blog right now for the AWS uh, AI ML blog. So, you know, as I said, probably bad for Joseph that I wasn't, you know, this big whale contract that he had probably hoped for, but, you know, we've been having a lot of fun. That's exactly right. And hey, I mean, no, no offense whatsoever to having um, hobbyist hackers. I mean, you know what that famous quote, right? Like what the nerds are doing on the nights and weekends is what like the Fortune 500 is doing in, in five years sort of thing. Um, yep. and we see that being super true across the platform. So welcoming all sorts of hobbyists, students, uh, you name it to be able to try out and build stuff with computer vision, just as much as large enterprises that are dipping their toes into things. Um, and actually that hard hat data set that you were working on, Mark is now one of the big example key data sets <laughs> that we have in the platform. <laughs> That's one of the first ones that people see to like poke around and see like, what's the quality of annotations or. Uh, how can you, you know, convert annotation formats or add new annotations or, or stuff like that? So um, you've been not only a early bet of what we were building, but your fingerprints are now in there for tens of thousands of users since you. That's great. That's great to hear, actually. <laughs> so let's start out hearing about you personally, right? Your early days, right? Let's talk about that. Talk through a little bit, you know, about, you know, how you got started and got to where you are today. Sure. Um, so Roboflow is my second uh, startup that I like to say uh, doesn't suck. It's sort of the, uh, the fun way to describe it. I've had a m number of sort of projects that didn't go the direction that you would have hoped one way or another. However, um, it's been a nice winding journey between getting into machine learning, getting deeper into building developer tooling, and now being able to build a team and a company that services what I think to be a really important problem. But I can kind of take you back. I mean. I didn't, I didn't start studying like computer science or things like that in um, my studies. My degree is actually technically uh, economics. I always liked the applied side of economics. So I find myself getting deeper into statistics and pretty soon applied statistics kind of turned into machine learning land. And by the time of my last year of school, uh, I actually got in trouble. I turned my thesis in in Python and they're like, oh no, you have to use Stata. I was like, what do you mean? Like Python's open source, successful. You can reproduce this much easier. They're like, no, we can only reproduce if it's in Stata. Um, status, I'm saying. And so from then I was like, oh, wow. I mean, Python's sort of the, the place to be. Um, and I worked at a bunch of different uh, companies throughout that time, um, small companies, big companies like Facebook. And across each of those opportunities, it was clear to me that um, the confluence of basically empowerment of people being able to use these new technologies while also applying it to wherever, you know, if you're a domain expert of knowing one thing or another, that's where there's really pretty powerful outcomes. So specifically, I mean, my last business um, was one called Represently, and we made a natural language processing product. We basically took Spacey, the uh, open source library for basically being able to do industrial strength, natural language processing quickly and easily. And we made a product that allowed Congress, the US Congress to respond to inbound constituent messages 90% faster. So we basically did automatic categorization, topic modeling, and things like this. And that was born out of my experience of being both a, uh, an intern back in the day on the Hill, and then separately working on the Facebook governance politics team and seeing this like, just giant um, gap between what the private sector had access to in terms of its technology and what the public sector sort of needed. And so I started a business that actually, I mean, initially it was a hackathon project, but turned into a, a company, nine-person business where uh, eventually we sold that to 
company called Fireside 21. And now, you know, hundreds of offices, uh, congressional offices are able to make use of faster responses to constituent messages. And so that was sort of like the first um, entrepreneurial endeavor of sorts. Um, I, uh, before RoboFlow, another thing that I worked on was in the education space. Um, I worked at General Assembly, which is a global technology provider um, and taught data science programs. And that was kind of like a similar level of learning, right? It's like, you know, data science is a booming and really um, powerful skill set, empowering more and more people to have access to that skill and basically take what they know in data science, but then apply it back to their domain, whether they're like doing sports or fashion or trading cards or um, anything in between. And um, I found that to be kind of kind of enlightening. Um, and then after that, um, it, we basically get to when I started RoboFlow with a, a childhood friend, actually, my co-founder, uh, Brad Dwyer, and I have known each other for a little over 20 years now. I'd love to actually share maybe the origin story of, of RoboFlow. If you, if, I don't know if I've shared it with you, Mark, or maybe your audience. Oh, absolutely. Love to hear it. No. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're, you describing how you found RoboFlow as sort of like a, a hobbyist and hacker really um, resonates with, with me and Brad. So, I mean, we were, um, you know, when ARKit came out, um, it was like 2017. So before RoboFlow was anything close to even a, a business idea or anything like that, um, Brad had given me a call and he said, you know, hey, I want to play around with building an application that would solve Sudoku puzzles, right? So you like have a, an iPhone, you hold it on top of a Sudoku puzzle, and then it fills in all the solutions. Uh, like how cool of a magical experience would that be? And he's like, as my machine learning friend, he's like, what, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think is the, the challenges of under, understanding a Sudoku puzzle visually? And, you know, I, I was like, well, that's sort of the hello world of, of computer vision, like digit recognition, the MNIST data set, like that's, that's super straightforward. You'd be in a great position to be able to, to build that. The part that I don't know much about is sort of the mobile app side of that. And he's like, oh, that's the part that I've got figured out. So ultimately, Magic Sudoku came together in about 30 days and um, it won Product Hunt AR app of the year. And this is years ago, right? And this was just a, a side project that we thought was cool and interesting to try to inspire people of what's now possible with these supercomputers we carry around in our pockets. Um, and at the time, Brad was running a different company in the social game space called Hatchlings. Fast forward a few years and Brad had appointed a new CEO at Hatchlings and Represently had been sold. And so we got to talking again. We said, you know, why aren't there more developers that are, you know, doing kind of like what we had worked on, you know, like making board games more fun, but just like adding software features to the objects in our everyday lives is something that feels so, so obvious. I mean, if you think at like a meta level, like the input output system for humans, like the output is probably text and the input is visual. And we have pretty good, I mean, it's still nascent on both sides, but we have pretty good technologies emerging on the, on the language side, getting better every day. Same with on the vision side, but there really is like a dearth of tooling for making it easy to like input visual, video, image data, and then make your applications be responsive to that, that need. And so we said, okay, well, if we want to help developers with that like guiding North Star mission, um, or actually not even developers, help the world with that guiding North Star mission, what if we go back to what we knew worked and we make board game apps? And so we're like, okay, yeah, like let's make some, you know, this very uh, kind of juvenile thing of making board games more fun to play. And so it's summer 2019 and we work together on putting together um, an app called Board Boss, uh, which is still available in the iPhone app store, totally free. And it's a, uh, a boggle solver and similar idea, right? So you take the app, you scan a boggle puzzle and then with boggle, you know, it's a four by four word game 
where there's letter tiles and the objective is to identify words from adjacent letter tiles. A human can only find so many. Uh, even a human with an infinite period of time might not find all of them. I mean, it'd be a very arduous lookup task between a dictionary. A, a, a computer vision system can identify each of the individual letters, and then you can use you know, an algorithmic search to say, what are all the possible words on this board? And so that's what we did, is we made this app that reveals to you all of the words on a given Boggle board. Um, and we released that, and it was, it was pretty fun. Uh, and then we said, okay, like what are other popular games people play? And we started working on one for chess. And as we worked on adding more and more board games to this, this product, we realized that like a lot of our time was spent on the challenges you just identified of converting annotation formats or managing data sets or selecting a model to train. And so we said, you know, if instead of saying, hey, we need to like give people um, like apps to allow them to interact with the real world, what if we go one derivative higher and we give them the ability to uh, build those you know, SDKs themselves? Um, and we basically take our internal tooling and we productionize that. And that's what became RoboFlow in January 2020. And Mark, I remember your sign up, uh, your, your sort of side project world is called New Age, New Age Techie, uh, which Correct. Uh, we, saw, yeah, we saw that come through and we're like, oh, you know, this is sort of, sort of starting to resonate with people. And so since then, I mean, tens of thousands of developers have done exactly that. They've built, I mean, we saw this guy in the UK build like an Uno scoring app. That was pretty fun. We see people build like <laughs> fish measuring apps, people that like are doing a lot of stuff now with like how hot it is to have like Pokemon cards. They're like doing Pokemon card detection and identifying like the yep. quality and condition of Pokemon cards. And then of course you have like more traditional enterprise use cases of, you know, manufacturing and quality assurance of given goods that are being produced or in agriculture verifying outputs and um, everything in between. So it's really been a pretty wild ride of these two hackers that sought out to make board games more fun to play, turning into this broader tool chain that allows any developer to create vision applications for whatever their domain idea is. I mean, the, the, the upper bound is really just people's creativity, which is what really keeps me motivated every single day. It's just seeing all the amazing sorts of use cases I never would have come up with come to life. No, that's fantastic. That's a fantastic story, right? As you said it there, you know, just two guys, you know, started off trying to make, you know, board games or board games more fun right it's a, and then and then it's turned into you know what today is is roboflow right so no it's a, it's a great story and speaking you know the you know, roboflow is a, a computer vision you know startup speaking you know specifically of, of computer vision itself you know i'm a huge fan of computer vision you know that uh, obviously you are uh, you know computer vision is kind of all the rave these days right as as well as you know natural language processing with transformers and that's kind of taking over the the world of deep learning right um but you know what do you think is the you know kind of the future of computer vision or where does the power lay currently and then where do you see it going yeah it's a it's a great question we um uh, a couple on the, a few of us in the RoboFlow team, we put together like our computer vision predictions for 2021, like video. And now we're like all seeing like who is the least wrong because there's no question that no one's going to be absolutely right, but who's the least wrong. Mm -hmm. And like some of the themes that, I mean, we think about is, so if we take a lay of the land today, um, computer vision uh, is pretty powerful, but also pretty brittle. In other words, like, you know, we can do a pretty good job of training the model to recognize persons that are maybe like entering a store on like given cameras and just like count, you know, how many customers did you have enter your, your store on a given day. But if you took that same, you know, camera perspective, and then you maybe tried to use it at a restaurant at a slightly different angle, or maybe you used it in the winter and people had like thicker coats on and whatnot, like that model would start to degrade. 
And so what's interesting is that like um, computer vision uh, today does a really good job of learning one scenario, but has a lot to learn in terms of either generalizability um, as well as adapting to one domain problem. So like one of the biggest trends that has happened recently in computer vision is um, OpenAI, uh, the research group, released what I think is the most generalized classifier to date uh, in a model called CLIP. Um, and so CLIP is basically like the world's best caption writer in some senses. Um, it's the first time that like we've actually, to your point, like connected language and text into one model. And what's innovative here is, whereas a lot of models, you know, require you to collect a lot of images of one, um, you know, maybe like collect a bunch of photos of like an apple and then say that there is an apple in the photo and collect a bunch of photos of a lamp and say a lamp is in the photo. What Clip did is they took 400 million image text pairs and trained a model to basically recognize what sorts of words or what concepts are associated with what sorts of imagery. And in doing so, they like basically created a ability to have a lot, one big step towards generalizability, where now you can basically like take Clip and out of the gate, like have an idea of, you know, um, a classification of a given image. Now, obviously classification is just one type of problem. We still have to handle object detection of like, not just mm -hmm. knowing, you know, that there's a dog in this photo, but where's the dog in this photo? How fast is it moving? Can we count all of the dogs in this photo? Um, and sort of and even semantic segmentation problems and um, handling video and all these sorts of things. So it's not like it works for all uh, domain problems, but I think it represents a sliver of what's to come. And that is better um, initial generalized models that we can then take and fine tune to individual domains. So in terms of what's coming in vision, I think the same sorts of trends that we're seeing in text of like transformers, um, uh, like, I mean, what's crazy is that like a lot of clip, the architecture is quite similar to GPT um, mm -hmm. architecture. And it's almost like this, the same under the hood uh, transformers a lot of ways. And that convergence is, uh, you know, transformers eating the machine learning process is, is powerful. Um, I think it's going to yield the ability for us to handle videos more effectively. I mean, right now videos are basically treated like individual images, but in fact, like videos have this time-based component, right? And so what would it mean to encode and think about like, if we saw in the last frame that the, you know, the car was this far along and the next frame, we probably know that it's still a car uh, and we should use the context between frames for making predictions and things like that, which seem quite obvious are still actually not happening necessarily in the architecture side of things. So I mean, we're going to continue to see advances on that side. Um, and then, I mean, for some of the things that we're thinking about at RoboFlow, it's vision is going to be increasingly easier for domain experts to use, right? So like right now, the um, vision, like a lot of what I just spoke about is like pretty <laughs> specific to like ML researchers and kind of like mm -hmm. those that are domain experts in machine learning itself. But like what's really going to come on the scene for computer vision and AI more broadly is we are so much in the first inning of enabling people who don't have to be experts of machine learning, but do know that they have a problem that involves images and allow them to use these sorts of uh, really impressive models to solve business problems without being machine learning experts. And that's, I think, what um, is a big thing to come and a big theme that we're going to continue to see of enabling those that have 
uh, a lot of expertise in, say, diagnosing tumors if you're a doctor or a physician um, and not need to be an ML expert. Because today, a lot of the, the, the advances require you to be an ML expert and then learn enough about um, a domain to make a, an advance. Um, where I, th I think the, in the future, the flip side will be true. The models will be, um, you know, I mean, it's already kind of true that the models, even open source architectures are quite good. It's just a question of enabling those that know a domain really well to say, you know, this is a specific type of tumor uh, if you're a physician and start looking for this and improve patient diagnoses as a result. Uh, and that's the trend that we're aiming to accelerate as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. Of allowing more people to use the power of vision for whatever problem they want to tackle. No, that's, that's, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think you touched upon a couple of things there that, you know, well, first off, I, I did want to see if you were going to say anything about transformers and computer vision, because I think that's really, really, you know, there's a driving force behind using transformers and computer vision now, right? They're not just for natural language processing anymore. Um, and then, you know, you've kind of touched on it a couple of times here is simplifying everything, right? Simplifying the process. I have a lot of uh, my guests come on to this podcast and we always talk about, you know, what they're doing and the common trend, you know, and it's only growing is people are doing things to simplify the process for AI and ML, right? They're, they're, they're simplifying it. They're demystifying it and they're allowing, you know, kind of that random person, that normal person, um, that's not a, you know, a, a machine learning engineer, uh, or even a data scientist to be able to, you know, use these tools and, you know, add AI into, you know, their applications very easily. Right. Um, you know, AWS has a great saying where they say they're trying to put AWS is trying to put AI in the hands of all developers. Right. I think that's a common trend and, and you touched upon it right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's machine learning is no longer just for machine learning engineers. Um, while that's a, they will continue to bolster and lead to the implementation in a lot of places. There's also an element of enabling developers who are fresh to machine learning to use it in a more effective way. Um, and I think a lot of companies appropriately are focused on making that process easier. It's going to be a giant, it is a giant opportunity. And so by all means, the, it's a big ocean and it's a big task to tackle. So more companies focusing on that problem is I think generally a good thing for outcomes of yep. um, any given domain. Yeah, absolutely. So let's shift back to RoboFlow, right? So, so RoboFlow itself, how many employees do you have now? Uh, we're up to seven. Yeah. Seven employees. So you're growing, right? So, you know, what does growth look like right now for you? The, um, we've been fortunate. We've been fortunate. So, I mean, when we launched in January, 2020, um, you know, it was kind of this like nascent annotation conversion tool, as you mentioned. Um, and on the product side, that's grown into this full fledged platform where people can do everything from collect images, organize, annotate, process, train, deploy, and then re-engage. And that's really in the first uh, you know, 12 months, over 20,000 users have been able to, um, at one time or another, take advantage of RoboFlow tooling for solving any sort of problem that they want to tackle. Uh, and so, I mean, you can do the math pretty quickly, but 20,000 people within the first 12 month life cycle is quite a few per, per day that we're able to empower yep. uh, finding and building with RoboFlow. And the other interesting thing is that like, you know, when you start a business and you're at the seed stage, so even before the seed stage where like you're, you're just kind of thinking like you're, you're kind of betting and it's almost like <laughs> religious at that point of like, you know, we bet, we think that it's going to happen, that vision is going to be everywhere. Right. And now it's almost like that's been kind of, uh, we're seeing that to be true. All the places that um, 
you know, like I, I was talking to a hobbyist in um, Colorado the other day who <laughs> he's making a vision application that, you know, uh, sprays water at the, the squirrels when they come to his bird feeder, but turns off when like the, the birds are at his bird feeder. Right. And it's just like small things like that, that seem quite um, uh, pedestrian. Well, it's those same sorts of technologies that allow you to say, open, close a gate. If you're a, a parking garage or, um, you know, all these sorts of other similar use cases. And that's what we're seeing, right? So we're starting to see that vision is truly everywhere. And now it's kind of like the next piece of that is ensuring that we're building and empowering and continuing to enable our Fortune 500 customers and those enterprises uh, with the production scale that they're operating at. You know, some of our customers that will be working with hundreds of thousands of images on a daily basis. Um, and pretty soon, you know, millions of, of inferences and things like this on a daily basis. And so now that we know we have this useful set of tooling and we find that there's a lot of value being provided, it's continuing to enable and allow those larger companies that are investing in this transformation to be able to, to, to be successful. Um, there's always more to do on the product side too. Uh, we're always looking mm -hmm. to make things simpler and more efficient for, for our users. And so um, as you very much know, the process is ever ongoing. Um, we are hiring, I should mention, uh, and pretty, pretty, um, uh, aggressively at that. No, that's, that's great. And you know, it, it must be so exciting for you, right? You guys are doing extremely well. Um, and you know, the excitement around there in RoboFlow is probably unreal. So, uh, now, now shifting to, you know, one thing we like to focus on in this, uh, podcast is real life use cases, real life use cases that are business use cases, making people money. Um, are you able to highlight you know, one, you know, one use case uh, that you've seen people, you know, someone using RoboFlow out there in the world and making money using it? Totally, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, um, we've had over half of the Fortune 50 try out and uh, benefit from uh, RoboFlow at some time or another. So one of those, um, one of those, so the world's largest manufacturer of wallboard, um, which, you know, you can go to like your local Home Depot, Lowe's, and if you took that and you, you, you broke it in half, you would, you would learn, you know, what the internals of that wallboard look like. Um, one thing that they were interested in is um, using computer vision for the purposes of developing better analytics on uh, the, their production as it's happening. So um, you want to know, um, can't say um, a whole lot, but you want to know like the outputs and visually inspect and provide better granularity of, of this, this production. And you could either, you know, have someone, a, an agent and an inspector manually do that, which um, in addition to perhaps, perhaps being slower, I think the bigger risk is it's inconsistent. Um, and so if you use a computer vision model to do measurement and do that inspection of what um, the output quality looks like, then you just yield way, way, way more consistent and better results. And for them, where they have multiple factories, you know, 15 across the US, creating consistency and understanding how given uh, factories are, are, are producing compared to one another, and even just having consistency at the enterprise level allows them to make more informed decisions around formulations, go to markets, what systems are working, which, which factories are ahead, which ones could use um, a revamp and these sorts of, uh, of things. And it all comes down to using computer vision to better visually inspect the outputs and the outcomes of, of what they're seeing. Um, and uh, that's been that's been awesome. I mean, I can't say a whole lot about this other use case, but another example of that is um, 
we started recently working with Amgen, a uh, large biopharmaceutical company. Um, and they similarly, I mean, um, I'm not saying that any one of these use cases are what they're doing, just more to get your, your gears turning about things that could exist. Anything from doing, you know, cell counting and ideation to, um, uh, to, you know, they do a lot of manufacturing too. So there could be manufacturing and quality assurance to, um, providing intelligence to their physicians, um, and consumers of products like that. Uh, all of those are potential places where vision, uh, will continue to enhance their, their business. Um, so there's been a lot in that domain. I mean, another one that I like to talk about is we see a lot of, of interesting work with, with pairing vision with drones. So I actually was talking to a company yesterday that they're using a drone to, um, uh, fly across golf courses and, uh, on those golf courses, they want to see, um, you know, what's the pres are the, what is the presence of, of clover grass, or if there's any, um, Dallas grass. These are two types of weeds um, mm -hmm. that to my, to my untrained eye, they just kind of look like, you know, kind of nasty grass, but in a golf course, it's a uh, pretty nasty problem. And so yep. this business flies drones over top of golf courses and helps better maintain and get control of weed outbreaks before they become, become too serious. Uh, so the intersection of like aerial inspection work uh, and computer vision yields all kinds of impressive uh, opportunities. One last one that um, maybe I could talk about is we have um, quite a bit that we've seen in, in the domain of workplace safety. Um, so there's a manufacturing company and they actually uh, manufactured the pallets that house the coronavirus syringe. Um, oh, yeah. And so like they were an integral part of the supply chain of getting coronavirus um, vaccines out to um, you know, America and uh, increasingly around the world. And when they produce, when they do the machining for these things, um, they want to do cost accounting, right? So they want to know how long a given worker is spending with his um, mask down uh, doing welding or how long another individual, let's say uh, you have an employee and she's going to use the machining and she doesn't have a glove on. And so they want to be sure that for regulatory and safety reasons that um, the machines don't run when they have those things, things running. I mean, one of the employees at this firm had mentioned to me that they've actually in, in his tenure there, they've actually had employees that have lost fingers from not having the proper safety equipment um, being used in the presence of these machines. So they're equipping their facilities with vision to basically one, do cost accounting, like how free, how long are we spending with the mask down doing welding uh, is like one question. And that allows them to make more concrete input decisions uh, and, and cut down on costs. Um, in the uh, workplace safety example, they actually automatically turn the machine off if they see a hand that comes near the machine and it doesn't have a glove on the hand, yep. um, which I mean, the health and safety implications there are enormous, let alone the importance of, of, of the regulatory reasons that, that are backing, backstopping the importance of those health and safety guidelines. Um, and so, I mean, basically any sort of use case where where we're seeing anything from, you know, counting the numbers of blank or identifying the presence of blank to um, monitoring blank system um, are places where vision can not only um, augment and improve human capability to be more efficient or focused on more interesting tasks, so to speak, but likely more precise as well. Um, yeah. And so there's business use cases um, abound. And that's been really, really exciting to see those come to life. 
No, that's great. And it must be as a, you know, kind of what I was touching upon earlier, it must be so exciting for you to see, you know, what you, you've built RoboFlow be used um, to solve these problems, right? These real world, real world problems or, you know, helping these businesses make you know, real world money, right? Right. I mean, that's always, uh, that's something that, that needs to be touched on more, I think, is, uh, you know, instead of just building play games with AI, a lot of people are out there making a lot of money off of it too, right? Completely. Yeah. I mean, each of these companies are, are saving in the ranges of, of, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions on return on investment of the decisions that they're making of equipping their facilities to be more production efficient, right? I mean, um, you look at the P&Ls of any of these companies. I mean, I mentioned Amgen. You look at their P&L, um, even a 1% improvement for some of the, the systems and processes they have is you know, multi-million dollar change. Um, yeah. And so there's absolutely ROI in a lot of these processes. All right. So I have a couple questions that I ask every guest. Um, so first off, what is the number one piece of advice you have for someone looking to break into you know a career uh, similar to what you do right maybe that's you know advice for someone that's looking to you know start a startup or maybe it's just break into computer vision in general so what is your number one piece of advice yeah i mean the for someone i'll, I'll touch on those sort of separately for someone breaking in as a practitioner of, of machine learning uh distinct from someone breaking into starting a startup um and if you're starting a machine learning startup, I suppose you're the intersection and in, in my thoughts uh, uh, will be the intersection, hopefully valuable as, as a result for both. In terms of breaking into machine learning, the common trend is given how new machine learning is, even those that you look up to as experts are constantly learning new things, right? Like transformers didn't come on the scene um, and no one like in school five years ago uh, was studying transformers and knew that this was going to be uh, the future of how a lot of these methods are happening. You know, Jeff Dean, Google Fellow, and uh, you know, creator of MapReduce and MapReduce, excuse me, and uh, TensorFlow itself, is constantly learning about uh, these technologies and how to implement them. And so, what does that mean for um, someone that's breaking into the field? It means taking on projects and being curious and demonstrating your ability to break into. Uh, a field is often contingent upon demonstrating your ability to uh, learn new things and put those new things into examples. So tangibly, what does that look like? I mean, maybe you're curious about, um, I'm a big hockey NHL fan. And so maybe I'm, I'm personally curious about um, the impact of goaltending as I used to be a hockey goalie on like team success. So maybe you want to work on building models that see and track and um, identify based on shot quality and rank and assess goalie quality. Um, and just basically taking these sorts of skills and writing about it in the form of maybe a blog post, posting your code on GitHub, sharing your Jupyter notebook with the open community are all ways of demonstrating that one, you're capable of learning new things and two, how you communicate and can action new pieces of technology. So maybe long story short, trying projects and demonstrating that you're learning is an integral part of breaking into the field. No, I like that. That's, that's great advice. I think, you know, as you said, breaking it down, you know, step-by-step step is key instead of looking at the, the whole picture. So my next question is, you know, kind of philosophical in a way, not literal. Uh, I don't want a definition, but I just want you to tell me, you know, what jumps out at you in your head when I, when I say, you know, what does AI mean to you? 
Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the former kind of teacher in me kind of wants to jump to like the, oh, you know, AI is the interdisciplinary study of, oh, um, but in terms of what it means to me, I mean, artificial intelligence at its core is trying to create capabilities that are on par with or maybe better than uh, human capability. And what's kind of funny is that whenever you ask for people like definitions of like computer vision or natural language processing, it's like, you know, giving computers the ability to see things like humans can, um, if not better. And um, things like that kind of what resonates with me is it's a way of allowing us to um, better understand the world around us because we're almost writing the rules of like, you know, it really forces us to break things down to a really atomic level of what is it that we're aiming to teach a computer to see? How does like one come to understand and learn and see the sights of given objects or of given things? And it makes things become like, you know, really, really fundamental questions that aren't really technology based of like, um, is this the right way to tackle the problem? Is this the, uh, in the long run, what is one of these technologies play out as? And I guess like, what I mean is when we think about creating um, human capabilities in the form of AI, the philosophical side of that is, and I know that you and I have talked about this, it basically is like holding a mirror up to how, how we as humans um, interpret the world around us, which starts to big like higher or like higher level questions beyond just like, you know, which algorithm am I gonna use? It's like, you know, is this system the right way to represent um, the world around me. And this is where you start to recognize when we see like, say bias in our algorithms, or we see issues of like, uh, of models saying, um, outcomes that we don't like, or we think to be are biased. I think the uncomfortable truth of confronting there is a lot of the times that's the result of the data set and the data mm-hmm. set was curated by humans or, um, is representative of society as it is today. And so when we think about like what, what AI means to me in terms of thinking about making human capabilities is it allows us to codify the way humans approach situations. And in fact, because it surfaces that bias, it does so in a measurable way, which I actually find really empowering, right? Because I think this means that like AI provides a pathway forward for us to reduce bias and improve the ways in which like society writ large interacts with, with technology and with systems. Because if you have bias that's in a human, um, you know, or any one individual, um, it, you know, no one wants to say that they're biased, so to speak. Um, whereas if we have the ability to hold a, a model or an algorithm to some standard that actually provides a basis starting point for us to say, oh, you know what, our data set was problematic in this way or, or that way. And so when we think about AI being a means to codify human capabilities, it begs on these like bigger questions about what do we want the representation of understanding how humans or um, how sight works or how these other things work. And it allows us to have a basis starting point of if we see bias in these systems, then we're probably seeing bias in humanity itself. And it Mm -hmm. provides a jumping off point for, okay, then we should make this be more representative and we should enable our systems to be um, even better than human insight on the way that it interprets a given output. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, um, AI is just in its early stages and provides a lot of promise. So I find those challenges to be really inspiring. 
uh, rather than daunting in a lot of ways. I don't know if that's kind of like what you're you're trying to get at with the with the question of like no no that's perfect yeah yeah no that's perfect I like it too you just you ended it with you know this AI's you know it's in its infancy right and it's 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 got so much promise ahead of it right so it's kind of like you know it's it's kind of hard to answer it, what what it actually means right because there's so much in front of us that we don't know yet um, okay so why don't you tell the listeners the best way to get started with RoboFlow today the best and easiest way uh, RoboFlow.com uh, if you're on roboflow.com, it's free to get started, free to sign up, start building your model. Um, I would challenge you to, um, if you don't have a data set and you just want to poke around, we have public data sets as well on public.roboflow.com. Um, the hard hat data set bringing this back full circle that um, Mark found in a public sense, we have hosted on public.roboflow.com. So if you want to build a model that identifies you know, hard hats and vests and protective gear, you could even uh, get started in, in that way. Um, so yeah, free to sign up, free to get started. And I um, and the team are excited to welcome you on your computer vision journey. Nice. I'm telling you, this guy's the next Musk. I'm telling you. These guys. <laughs> if you see Joseph, Joseph, you're in DC, right? That's right. If you see Joseph around DC in a Bugatti or a Rolls, don't be surprised. <laughs> These guys are killing it right now. Joseph and, and your co-founder, Brad, you know, and the whole RoboFlow team. So it's been amazing having you on today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, um, you know, share your story, talk RoboFlow, and, you know, just don't forget about me when you, when you hit that must status, right? Don't go Hollywood on me. <laughs> never, never. We're, we're, I went at our roots and that's, that's not the way we roll. So yeah, thanks so much for having me, Mark. This was a fun conversation. Yeah, you know, I, I am the Joe Rogan of AI, right? I got the podcast, <laughs> I got the bald head, I got the tattoos. So, you know, you can't forget about me. I see it. I see it. Honestly, you're, you're further ahead than um, than me in terms of getting the celebrity fandom. More people will know Mark's name than, than Joseph's name. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it, Joseph. I'll do a check-in in a couple of years. It'll be fun. Absolutely. I appreciate the time and uh, take care. Thanks, Mark. So one example of businesses using RoboFlow in the real world is Cardinal Health. So Cardinal Health uses RoboFlow to administer telepharmacy. It is pretty cool what they're doing, actually, but I won't get into too much detail on this specifically. But the list includes things like verifying medications, counting pills, and much more using computer vision and RoboFlow to simplify the entire process. Another cool thing that I wanted to call out during the past Super Bowl, Mountain Dew ran an ad featuring John Cena riding through a Mountain Dew-themed amusement park. Bottles were scattered all over the scene. Uh, neon signs on buildings, in funhouse mirrors, and flying out of the car of a trunk. At the end of the ad, John Cena challenges the audience that the first person to tweet at Mountain Dew the exact number of bottles that appear in the commercial is eligible to win $1 million. So Joseph and RoboFlow saw that commercial. And when they heard that, there was that task that called for careful visual inspection and counting. They knew computer vision would be a great tool for it. So they did what any developer specializing in computer vision would do. They trained an object detection model to recognize bottles that appear throughout the scene. They made this problem into a blog and put the, the cleaned up data set uh, into their public data set zoo. So I encourage you to go to public.roboflow.com and go through that challenge. It's called the Mountain Dew commercial. 
And also, I, I, I encourage you to read through the entire blog, which is at blog.roboflow.com. Um, and it's called Mountain Dew Contest Computer Vision. I will also provide the links to both those resources in the episode. All right. It's been a real blast having Joseph come on the podcast as he has enabled me personally to do so many cool things from within the computer vision domain. Head over to roboflow.ai to dig into the platform. All right. As always, it's been a pleasure. And until next month, stay tuned, everyone, and we will continue to explore how AI can help you.